Okay, my name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. Also, we're going to have a Q&A with me and Paul Eddy and Phil Friesen from Woodland Hills Church. Uh, and it will be centered on spiritual warfare and holy war. Now, that's the whole thing in the Old Testament with all the violence and the Canaanites getting slaughtered and all that. And we're going to be addressing the issue. We're going to try to address the issue. It's a tough one. Uh, how to reconcile that with uh, the gospel of peace in the New Testament. So if you're interested in that topic, uh, we'll, all, we'll each give like a 15, 20-minute presentation, and then we'll take uh, 45 minutes to an hour of questions, December 3rd, 7 to 9. What else? Oh, last week, this is just a praise report. Um, Providence Ministries, which uh, sponsors the Haitian Education Project, reports that we uh, funded 140 kids to go to school for a year down in Haiti. Praise God. That's great. That is the kingdom. Here's what I love, and I just thank God for this. Um, you know, almost every week, we are, are putting up ministries like Providence Ministries or, or uh, uh, Boxes of Love, or now it's, it's the grocery you know, thing, the food shelf. And we're asking you to give money to that or time to that and pray about that. But people are, are really responding, and a lot of money is going to these ministries. Um, and I thank God for that. People are stepping up and sacrificing. At the same time, I don't know if you've noticed it, but for the last three months, we've actually been making budget in the offerings. That's fantastic. We haven't done that for three years. <laughs> so, um, no, that, that, that just is great. Uh, we, we, we tell you to, yes, to, to keep this ministry growing, we need funding here, but we're also saying just listen to God and he'll tell you where to put your finances and here's some other opportunities because it's, it's about the kingdom, right? And so... Uh, we're, we're starting to operate in that principle that, that, that the more you bless, the more you get blessed, and you start that cycle of abundance that the gospel talks about. We're, this decade, we're studying the book of Luke, and um, we're up to chapter 10, and we're in the middle of a series we're calling Revolting Beauty, because the kingdom of God is about manifesting the beauty of God's character as revealed in Jesus Christ. And to do that, we revolt against everything in the world, in the culture, in our families, in our own lives. We revolt against everything that's opposing that. It's a beautiful revolution. You need to think of yourself as a revolutionary. Don't think of yourself as belonging to a religion. Think of yourself, if you're surrendered to Jesus, you're part of a beautiful revolution. A beauty that revolts, and a beauty that also, by the world standards, can be seen as being revolting. Uh, if you're conditioned by the ways of the world, it maybe doesn't look beautiful. It might look revolting, like Calvary did in the first century. So we're now uh, coming to part five of a six-part series on revolting beauty. And this one is called, this message is entitled, A Better Way. And it centers on the episode, which many of you will know about, the famous episode of Mary and Precious Martha. Mary and Martha. Before I start, let's pray. Lord, I sense your presence here. And I ask for a double portion of that presence. Intensify your presence here, Lord, and make this word come alive. Confront us, Lord. Challenge us. Stretch us. Discipline us. Transform us. Free us, God, from a culture that is addicted to busyness. And teach us, Lord, to be people who get all of our life and worth and significance by sitting at your feet, Lord. That is the better way. Teach us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. 
As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they're heading towards Jerusalem in this section of Luke, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So just note here that, that Martha is the owner of the home. Everyone else is a guest, including her sister, Mary. But Martha was distracted. Distracted from what? By all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to get off her rear and help me. And you've got to love Martha. She's just, she's just such a, a human person. I love her honest you know, relationship with Christ. Uh, her frustration would be very understandable. Uh, in the first century, now we're dealing with, with a, a, a fairly barbaric time in, in history. And so, so in the first century, and this may be hard for some of us to believe, but in the first century, um, the job of preparing meals and, 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 and welcoming guests fell mainly on women. It's hard to believe, but it fell mainly on the women. And here Jesus is coming over. I mean, having any guests over kind of freaks some people out. You know, you got to clean up the house and, and put away the underwear and, and, and take care of the, the guests and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so having guests at all can be a stressful situation, uh, which we maybe uh, are beginning to feel as we're moving into the holiday season. Uh, but here Jesus is coming, and he's a celebrity. So you really want to impress the celebrity. On top of that, Jesus is coming with his disciples, and, and so there's going to be a lot of people in this, in this house, probably as many people as could fit in this house, so maybe our people from the town who are joining in on this. So this is a huge deal. And Martha is left all by herself to care for these folks, to fix the meal and do all the normal hospitality stuff. Now, Martha says that Mary has left me, so now I have to do it all by myself which tells you that Mary initially was helping Martha. Uh, she was doing her woman's role in the first century. The women are in the kitchen. The guys are out in the living room. They're sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is teaching. And, and Mary is preparing meals and doing whatever other chores were necessary. But at some point, Mary, maybe she overheard Jesus talking or maybe just something in the spiritual realm was pulling her over there. But at some point, she stops doing the woman's duty and she goes down and sits with the guys. That would have been a radical move in first century Jewish culture. Not only were women supposed to be the ones to show hospitality and fix the meals, but women were expressly forbidden to sit at the feet of rabbis. That was a man's privilege. Men get to learn, women get to serve them. And so Mary, in doing this, it's a fairly revolutionary act. She's leaving the women's world of fixing preparations, and she's going to go sit with the boys. So you can understand Martha being a little bit peeved at this point. Who does my sister think she is? First of all, she's a guest over here. I invited her, you know, it's because I was doing her a favor. And she doesn't even help me out doing the normal female duties that we're supposed to do. And now she's going over there and sitting with the guys. Who does she think, think, think she is? A guy? So she's mad. So she goes to Jesus, which is interesting. She doesn't go to Mary. She goes to Jesus. Maybe trying to embarrass Mary in front of everybody. And she says, look, since my sister clearly wants to learn from you, will you show her what a woman's role is? Put her in her place. Don't you care? That I, look how stressed out I am. I, I'm sweating. I'm breathing hard. Will you, Jesus, do me a favor. Don't you care about me? 
get my sister to play the woman's role that she's supposed to play. But Jesus doesn't quite do that. He says, Martha, Martha. You got to hear him sighing when he does that. Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about so many things. Chill. But very few things are really necessary. In fact, only one thing is really necessary. And Mary has chosen that. She's chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. Now, in saying Martha, Martha, Jesus is using what's called in Greek a double vocative. And it just, it was a term of endearment. Jesus isn't mad here going, Martha, Martha. Uh, he's, he's saying, oh, Martha, Martha. He understands Martha. He loves Martha. He, uh, he's in, he, Martha is endearing to him. Uh, but, he, but Jesus is a little bit frustrated. Martha, Martha. And then he says that Mary has chosen what is better. And in the Greek, it literally reads, Mary has chosen the better portion. And it's a phrase that applies literally to meals. When you get the better portion, the better, the better quality or, or a bigger portion, you got the better part of the meal. And so Jesus is sort of being ironic here, I think, because he's saying, Mary, Mary, Mary no, Martha, Martha, um, you're worried about many things preparing this meal, but Mary has chosen the better meal. In fact, the best meal is already being served. And that's what Mary has chosen. She's feasting on the, the really important meal, and it's not going to be taken from her. And what Jesus is really doing here is he's, he's inviting Martha to join why don't you leave those chores behind? We're not going to die of starvation. And why don't you cho choose the better portion, the better meal? Which shows you that Jesus is at least as radical in the first century as Mary was. Uh, he, he's really revolting. He's, he's, he's endorsing women learning stuff, huh? He's endorsing women leaving their stereotypical roles to do some kingdom stuff. So Jesus is also being an anti-patriarchal, anti-sexist revolutionary. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come and sit with Mary and the boys here. Folks, we live in a Martha culture, a culture that is intensely busy, fragmented, disconnected, a, a, a culture that has lost its center. Watch this enlightening short documentary here. The turn into the 20th century a time of invention, optimism, futurism. A time when the world fairs would offer a vision of tomorrow. A vision that was clean, safe, and brimming with consumer goods. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could just hire a mechanical robot to do all the household chores? After all, my dear, isn't that what all our electro appliances do? This device will be the most outstanding tool you will ever own. For your money back. Mm. It's commendable. It's reputable. The name that says it all. With the advent of the Industrial Revolution, for the first time in history, everything people needed could be produced at affordable prices. This presented a dilemma for businesses. The mission of business has to be to produce consumers who are dissatisfied with what they have, even though they have everything they need.
We are entering the golden age of leisure. Fifty years from now, by the year 1980, people will only have to work two hours a day. Whether you bake or broil or stew, the Frigidaire kitchen does it all for you. Don't have to be changed. What business must do is have people value consumption more than leisure. Buick presents the Sleek Centurion. Our job as advertisers is to cause consumers to become discontent with what they have. Dissatisfied with your same old stuff? Drink me, drive me, wear me, put me in your hair. Our new product will change your life. What am I gonna do with all this? Can't find no room for all this. What am I gonna do with all this stuff? Everything closing in around me. Can't contain it, I think I'm drowning. What am I gonna do with all this stuff? Yow. With all this stuff. With all this stuff. A lot of stuff. With all this stuff. What I'm talking about. Got a lot of stuff. Great acting, huh? Ooh, ah. I remember sitting in a humanities class in high school. Mr. Gilbertson was the teacher. And um, we were talking about this book, Future Shock. Can we read that book, Future Shock, back, back in the 70s? And um, I, I didn't actually read the book. I, I, my brain wasn't activated yet. Uh, but we were supposed to have read the book, and we were talking about it. And I remember that Mr. Gilbertson saying so confidently that by the turn of the century, as we entered the third millennium, uh, no one would be working 40 hours weeks. Uh, we would be averaging about 20 hours a week, and we were going to have more time and, and more leisure and less stress in our life. And the reason is because technology was making such great advances. Uh, our lives are just going to be so much better thanks to technology. What a crock. Uh, technology is the bane of my existence. I don't know about yours, but I, it, it, uh, it's a plague. I, I, I was born in the wrong era. I'd be good with a horse and buggy, and I'd probably figure out a way to mix that up. Uh, technology doesn't fix itself. That's the problem. If technology always worked, maybe it would make our lives a little bit more leisurely, but it doesn't usually work, especially when you need it to work, and so it causes extra stress on us. This week, I'm trying to print out my sermon, and my printer doesn't work. And I don't know how to fix my printer. Stupid thing. I prayed over it, and it still didn't work. It's got a demon in it. Now, fortunately, I bought a new printer, a new and improved printer last year, one of those laser deals, $200 for this thing, and and it can do it in color and all that stuff. But unfortunately, I could never get the thing to work. Uh, it won't talk to my computer for some reason. It's got a demon of miscommunication. I don't know. So my useless printer sitting there, now right next to my other useless printer, they're both sitting next to my iPod, which someone gave me from birthday, and I can't figure out how to use that. How do you download these? Is it even called an iPod or it's something like that? An iPod, yeah, where you get music, you download from I, this thing called iTunes. If you got to know how to do that stuff, I don't know how to do that stuff. I'm too old to learn how to do that stuff. I don't like technology. It's stress. I'm glad we have geeks around who do know how to do the technology that we can call on to fix stuff. But why is it, despite the technological advances of this century, the last century, that we're not relaxed more, that we're not taking more leisurely time? In fact, here are the facts. Did a little research this week. Americans are working now more than they ever have. The average male works, uh, the average working male works 48 hours a week. 
Not quite the two hours they were predicting back in 1930. Um, in Europe, they're going in the different direction. They're a little smarter than we are, maybe. They're, uh, the average male there works 37 hours a week. And in France, I read, it's down to 34 hours a week. You've got to love the French. Uh, Americans are taking less vacations than we ever have. And not because we, we, we aren't given them. We're given vacations, but we don't take them because we're addicted to work. We're, we're losing the art of relaxing and, and having fun. Last year, only 14% of all Americans took a two-week vacation. That is sad. The average uh, American parent spent 45 minutes less per day in family time than they did 20 years earlier in 1985. We're just too busy. We're workaholics. In 2006, 52% of Americans say that they are concerned about their stress level. They, they believe it's having a harmful effect on them. Less than a third of all Americans get enough sleep. 48% report having regular insomnia because of stress. Not surprisingly, 51%, over half of all Americans, are chronically tired. Some people can say amen to that. Fatigued. It's just a continual thing. And all of this is, is having its toll on our health. This one study I found uh, suggested that upwards of 75% of all the reasons we go to the doctor are stress-related. Stress-related illnesses. And part of the problem is that is that the way we manage stress is a little bit dysfunctional and not entirely healthy. We watch way too much television. Average American, like four hours a day. Uh, that's a way of dealing with stress. Or we surf the internet too much. Uh, we're eating too much and we're eating the wrong stuff. We're drinking too much alcohol. The way that we handle stress is not entirely helpful. Now, why is this? With all this improvement of technology that was supposed to make our life so much easier, why do we still work so much and are in, uh, under such stress? And I suggest to you that, as we saw with this documentary, it's because we are brainwashed. We're systematically conditioned in our culture to perpetually want more, to never be content, to never be satisfied. We're brainwashed, just like Pavlov's dog, uh, who salivates when the bell goes off. You know, we're conditioned to, to, to want whenever a commercial comes on. We're bombarded with thousands of commercials every day, and every one of them, in one way or another, is saying, you need, not just want, but you need what, what we're offering here. It's what keeps the whole consumeristic, capitalistic machinery going. If Americans ever took seriously the teachings of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where Paul says, if we have food, shelter, and clothing, we will be content. If that ever happened, the whole economy would come to a grinding halt. It runs on keeping people insatiable, wanting more. We want a bigger, we want a faster, we want a better, we want a prettier, we want a new and improved version, we want more comfort, we want less inconveniences. Capitalism runs on that. So it reduces us if we're not careful. This brainwashing reduces us to the proverbial rat on the proverbial treadmill chasing the proverbial cheese. And we never quite get it. We have a Martha culture. This culture conditions us to put a high value on what we consume, a high value on what we produce, a high value on what we achieve. Worth and identity and security is associated with those things. And so we are the rats on the treadmill chasing the cheese. We, we're, we're, we're perpetual Marthas. We're distracted. We're overly busy. We're losing our center. And we feel it. On some level, all of us feel this. There's this pervasive stress in our life. We have time stress. We have money stress because 
Because of this conditioning, we tend to spend more than we should on things. Uh, and so we're always strapped. We have money stress. We have relationship stress because we're not investing enough time in relationships. There's a sense of emptiness in people, a sense of disconnectedness in people, a sense of loneliness in many people. We've, we've lost our center. This is not, by any stretch of the imagination, how God intended human life to be lived. It's just, this isn't high-quality life. Higher technology and more things, more stuff, is not, doesn't translate into a higher-quality life. This is not how God intended human life to be lived. There is a better way. It's God's way. It really is Mary's way. And it's what's talked about in this passage. To get at this better way, we've got to follow the example of Martha. We've got to join the, I mean, the example of Mary. I've got to keep those straight. This is the third time I've talked about this, and it's starting to get confused in my, my, my disjointed brain. But uh, uh, it's, it's Martha's the distracted one. Mary's the one we need to follow. Yes, Greg, Mary. Follow Mary. <laughs> what Mary did, what Mary did was she revolted against the system, and she sat down. How we need to revolt against the system and sit down and quiet ourselves at the feet of Jesus. Mary is really saying this. I know. I know what my culture says I'm supposed to do. The culture says I'm a woman, and therefore my place is in the kitchen. The culture says I'm a woman, and therefore I have to shoulder all the responsibility for needing the needs, the needs of men. The culture says I'm a woman. And there's all sorts of oughts and shoulds and gotta do's that, that attach to that. I'm the one responsible for the chores. The culture says I'm a woman, so I'm not supposed to be able to learn. I'm not supposed to be able to sit with the guys. I'm not supposed to be able to uh, learn by sitting at the feet of Jesus. But what Mary does, and it's quite revolutionary in her original context, is she says, I know that's what the culture says. It's what it's, I'm conditioned to think. But I don't care. I don't care. Sitting with Jesus is more important than what the culture says. Sitting with Jesus is more important than the, the, the way I've been brainwashed. Sitting with Jesus is more important than preparing the meals and taking care of the men. Sitting with Jesus is more important than, than, than having people in the culture respect me if they're offended by what I do, so what? So Mary says, I'm leaving. I'm leaving this woman's world, and I'm leaving the kitchen. I'm going to sit myself down with the boys, and I'm going to commune with my Lord, commune with my Savior, and learn at the feet of Jesus. I'm tired of preparing meals for the guy. I want the meals. I want the one meal that counts. I want the better portion. She revolts against the system, and she sits down at the feet of Jesus. Mary was the first Christian feminist, praise God. Amen. And Jesus confirms her as such, applauds her for, for, for being such. Folks, we need to revolt against the system. This is the revolution. Uh, our culture conditions us systematically to have a Martha mindset, to be perpetually distracted, pursuing shallow things. Our culture conditions us to always want it bigger and faster and better and new and improved. Our culture conditions us to pursue the American dream. Our culture conditions us by saying that we're supposed to get our worth and our identity and our respectability from what we acquire and from what we drive and what we produce and how much we consume. We're supposed to uh, be climbing the totem pole of success. That's just what Americans do. But what Mary is saying to us and what this passage is saying to us is that, that that is a lie out of the pit of hell and you need to revolt against it. That way of living is not a beautiful way of living. There's a better way of living. But to get there, you've got to revolt. You've got to be willing to buck the system and say, I'm tired. I'm sick and tired of being brainwashed. 
I'm sick and tired of being this rat chasing the cheese. I'm sick and tired of being anxious all the time, stressed out all the time, not having enough time to collect myself. I'm sick and tired of, 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 of trying to prepare meals when the, the one meal I need, the life that comes from Jesus Christ, communing with Jesus Christ, is, is right before me all this time. And so I'm going to rebel against the system and I'm going to reorganize my life at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to make time to commune with Jesus, make time to fellowship with Jesus and submit all my time and all my money and all my possessions and the way I do life to him. And I'm going to learn. It's about joining what we might call the Mary Revolution. Where you revolt against the brainwashing, against the stress, against the oughts and the should and the conditioning of the culture, you revolt against the anxiety and the busyness of the culture, and you submit everything to Jesus Christ and make time to sit at his feet. Life is full of a lot of things we have to do. We all have that. And we don't need to feel guilty about that. There's a lot of things to do. But what this passage is saying is that when all is said and done, there's only one thing that is absolutely needful. It is eternal life itself. It's the center of the center. It is that upon which everything else hangs. It is the main determiner of the quality of our kingdom life. And that one thing, that better portion, that better way, that better meal, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Spending quality time with Jesus Christ. This is why, ultimately why, God redeemed you. He wants to be with you. And we need to spend time doing just that. Just relaxing in his presence, communing with him, and learning from him. I like to think about, think about it like a marriage. I've used this analogy before, but it's a good one, so I'm going to use it again. When two people get married, presumably it's because they like each other, at least a little bit. They like to be together. They'd rather be together than be apart. Minimally, that should be going on if you're going to marry somebody. You get married to be together rather than being alone. That's the center of it. Now, when you get married, there's much to do. Life happens. And so married couples need to pay bills, and somebody's got to earn a living, and somebody's got to call the creditors to work out those kind of deals, and somebody's got to take care of the house, and somebody's got to take care of the lawn, and people have to take care of broken garage doors, and somebody's got to paint the house, and somebody's got to, got to you know, uh, be, be changing diapers and, and driving the kids around, and, and, and both, couple, both people have to work through conflicts because that's an inevitable part of relationships. Life happens. Busyness happens. That's part of being married. But that's not why you got married. That's part of what it means to be married, but you got married to be together. So in every marriage, listen up, married couples, you need to have time, quality time, to just do what you got married to do. And guys, that's not just about having sex. No, you, you got married to hang out together, to laugh together, to enjoy one another, to keep on learning about one another, to party together, to do life together, uh, to be together. But if you're, not, if, if you're not careful to protect that, what happens is that the busyness of life starts to encroach on that more and more and more and more. And if you're not careful to protect that, your whole relationship can become little more than just two people doing stuff together. Busyness. The relationship is defined by the chores and the bills and the kids. You become sort of utilitarian roommates who just pay bills together and, 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 and divvy out the chores together and, and do, do life together like that. 
But see, you didn't, get, you, you didn't get married so that you could pay bills better and raise kids better and take care of houses better. You got married to be together. And that's the core of what the relationship's about. If the relationship becomes a Martha relationship, where you're distracted from being together all the time, and you're just doing stuff, what happens is that the couple begins to feel empty on the inside, disconnected, unloved, disappointed because this isn't what you signed up for, resentful because this isn't what you signed up for. And that creates more conflict in the marriage. And when you lose sight of, of, of what, what you got married for and you're not holding that, the beauty of your being together as the thing that you're going after, when you lose sight of that, you lose your motivation for working through the conflict. I mean, the reason why you want to work through the conflict is so that now you can be together again. But if you're not being together, you're just working through the conflict so you can keep on paying bills, and that's not exciting anybody. Um, so you, so, so you, you lose the motivation for that. And it can be that the only thing you have in common is your doing, your busyness. And people are feeling empty, and so we're shocked when all of a sudden one of the couple... One of the people meets somebody who actually wants to be with them and their soul is so hungry, boom, you got an affair going on. Or we're shocked when, when after the last kid is dropped off at college, mom and dad say they're going to divorce each other because the last thing they had in common just left them. Uh, you see, a, a marriage that is a Martha marriage where it's just about busyness, where you've lost the center, is a marriage that is in trouble. In any marriage, the, the, there's a lot of things you've got to do. But there's only one thing that is really, really needful upon which everything else depends, and that is being together, making time to be together, to talk, to, to keep on learning from each other, to enjoy one another. And there's still a whole lot to do. You can't just sit in your room all day and every day and talk. You still got to pay the bills and, and do the chores and take care of the kids. But see, here's the thing. A couple that has their act together and they spend time being together and they keep that love alive, they're going to do things a whole lot better than a Martha relationship. A, a, a relationship that's got a merry principle installed in it, they're going to raise kids better than a Martha relationship. They're going to pay bills and, and take care of the house and, and negotiate chores and resolve conflicts. They'll do life a whole lot better because they have a center. And the center's not defined by the doing. Rather, the doing is done out of the center. You see the difference with that. Top priority is keeping that being relationship. Parents, especially parents of small kids, listen up on this. The single best thing that you can do for your kids is to have a life apart from your kids, to have a married life apart from your kids. The best thing you can do for your kids is to take time out with your spouse and go out dancing, go to a hotel once in a while, uh, go to movies, hang out with friends, get away from the kids, the best thing you can do. And I know that sometimes it's tough because you're financially strapped and you got to hire a babysitter and all sorts of other complications. I don't care. Priority number one, don't sacrifice the life of your marriage for your kids. Sacrifice for your kids. You have to sacrifice for your kids, but don't sacrifice the, 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 the Mary principle for your kids, the being principle for your kids. I, I say that because there's a lot of parents today who seem to be caught up into sort of Martha parenting. Uh, we're just distracted by our kids. Uh, you know, there's, there's a, a, a thought out there. It's, it's sort of like, you know, little Johnny, 
My precious son, he just might be the world's best football player, so he's got to try football. And he might be the world's best piano player, so he's got to try piano. And he might just be the world's best baseball player, so he's got to try baseball. And who knows, he could be the next world chess champion, so we've got to try him out in chess. And we feel like we're cheating our kids if we don't make available every possible opportunity to them. And that's nuts. That's insane. That's, that, that's, that's Martha living. So you spend all your time hauling the kids around doing every conceivable thing. Meantime, the being of your marriage is decaying. The best thing you can do for little Johnny is to say, Johnny, um, mommy and daddy get to have a life too. Johnny, here's the deal. There's 20 things we, we could do, 20 extracurricular activities. You get to pick two of them. And, and we'll do two of them, and we'll haul you and the other kids around two nights a week, but we're not going to haul you around seven nights a week, and we're certainly not going to haul you around on Friday night, because Friday night is Mommy and Daddy's special night, and nobody interferes with Mommy and Daddy's special night. Johnny needs to see that. We get to have a life. The thing is, Johnny will respect you for that. And if he doesn't respect you for that, too bad for Johnny. He'll learn to respect you for it, because you're going to do it anyways. This is the center, folks. Take time to enjoy doing what you got married to do, and that is to be together. It is exactly, exactly the same in our relationship with Christ. Jesus died on the cross to acquire a bride. That was his dowry payment. His blood was the dowry pay payment. And we are the bride of Christ. He married us because he wants to be with us. He'd rather be with us throughout eternity than without us throughout eternity. He loves you for your sake, warts and all. That's why he died for you. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to share himself with you and you to share yourself with him and to develop this ecstatic, joyful, life-giving and life-affirming relationship with him. That's why he died for you. Now, there's also a lot to do. The kingdom is, is full of activity, important activity. And we're all called to have a role in that. We're all ministers of the gospel. We all have a vital role to play. We're all called to manifest the beauty of God and revolt against everything in the world that's not beautiful. And we're all called to serve and to sacrifice of our time and our resources. And we all have a role to play in the church, and whether it's preaching or, 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 or folding bulletins or painting walls or, or, or vacuuming the floor. Or whatever it is, we all have a role to play. There's a lot of doing that's involved in the kingdom life. But Jesus didn't marry you because you're going to be good at doing things. He married you because he wants to be with you. And out of that fullness will come a lot of things to do. But he didn't marry you because you're going to be really good at serving in a, in a, in a soup line or that you're really good, going to be good at singing or good at preaching or what have you. Those are the outcome of what he married you for. What he married you for was to be together with you. But see, if we're not very careful, folks, if we let the the addiction to busyness of our Martha culture suck us in, it can happen that that being relationship starts to get eroded. If we don't protect it, it starts to get eroded. We just don't have time to spend with Christ. It gets eroded. And what can happen then is your whole relationship with Christ becomes nothing but doing. What it means to be a Christian is I go to church, I pray this, I read this Bible, and I, I help in the soup kitchen or, or whatever deed that you do. That's a behavioralistic kind of Christianity. That's not the kingdom. There's no life in that. That's a Martha religion. When you're doing a Martha religion, everything you, you do is because you're supposed to, you ought to, you got to. And there's no joy in that. There's no fullness in that. So you start to feel empty and you start to feel disappointed because you thought you were signing up for something that was really going to give you life. And it would give you life. But to get life, you've got to follow Mary and revolt and sit. You've got to join the Mary revolution. 
There's many important things to do in the kingdom, like there's many important things to do in life, but there's only one thing that is absolutely needful, and that is spending time with Jesus. And see, when you spend time with Jesus, letting him love you, getting your life and worth and source and security from your relationship with Christ, basking in his beauty, when you spend time doing that, you're going to be, you'll end up doing much more than if a relationship was only doing. Mary-type believers do a whole lot more for the kingdom than Martha-type believers. You get a person who has all their fullness and all their joy and their self-esteem and and their lovability defined apart from their doing, and they're going to be doing a whole lot more. They're just not doing it to try to get life and get worth and get security. They're doing it to express express life and express worth and express their security, the security they have apart from all that they're doing because they're spending time like Mary at the feet of Jesus getting that. That's why Paul said, the love of Christ constrains us. He was motivated by the love of Christ. He didn't do stuff to get the love of Christ. No, he got the love of Christ and therefore he did stuff. You see, we, in the end, we live life one of two ways. We either live life like Martha or we live life like Mary. You either live life out of a center of emptiness trying to get full or you live life out of a center of celebration because you are full. And if you're doing the second, you're going to end up doing a whole lot more for the kingdom than if you're doing the first one. Think of it like this. And see, this is the center of the better way. This is, this, this is the linchpin of kingdom life. You've got, you can't give what you don't have. So you've got to have time where you get it. You can't manifest. It's impossible for you to manifest the beauty of the kingdom unless you're spending quality time basking in the beauty of the king. You're just receiving it. And see, as you get full, then the cup overflows, and out of that will come a whole lot of beautiful activity. But it comes out of a center of fullness. You can't possibly manifest the fullness of life found in Jesus Christ unless you're getting filled with life from Jesus Christ. That takes time. You can't give what you ain't got. You can't possibly manifest the, the, the love of Jesus Christ unless you're spending quality time being loved by Jesus Christ. If you find that the last two weeks the sermons have been kind of impossible because you just can't love certain enemies, the solution to that is not to try to go, oh gosh, I'm a bad person. I got to try harder to, to love enemies. I love them, I love them, I love them, I love them, I love them. You, you can't will your way into this. You, you can't crank it out. You can crank out maybe faking it, but you can't crank out authentic love unless you're getting love. And so the solution, if you find that you just don't love enough, that you judge people too much, the solution is to, is to, to follow the Mary principle, join the Mary revolution, revolt against the busyness of the system, and sit more at the feet of Jesus, drinking deeply from the infinite well of his love and his peace and his joy and his affirmation. Hear him and see him and experiencing. Pour his love on you, filling you with life. That's what you were created for. That's what he married you for to drink deeply of the well, the endless, bottomless well of Christ's life. The Mary Revolution. Take time to do nothing but sit and learn and bask in the life of Jesus Christ. When we do this, and this is the last thing I'll say about it, when we do this to the extent that we do this, we gradually will acquire a peaceful wisdom. A peaceful wisdom. Uh, When you get your life from Christ, it frees you to be able to see things that you otherwise can't see when you're addicted to things. And you gain a wisdom uh, about life. How to reorder your life to get out of this sick, dysfunctional Martha system that we're a part of. He gives you wisdom. 
sit at the feet of Jesus for a moment and hear him say this. Martha, Martha, or Carol, Carol, or Greg, Greg. Listen to this. You're worried about many things. Troubled by so many things. But listen, don't worry. Don't worry about what we shall eat, or what you're going to drink, or what you're going to wear. I've got nothing to wear. How many of us have said that? For the pagans, the worldlings, the people who aren't getting life from God, they run after these things. They chase after these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Trust him. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Take it one day at a time and seek first, one day at a time, moment by moment, the life that comes from Jesus Christ. Seek first, as he says in this passage, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Pagans, those who are worldlings, who, who, their whole frame of reference is the here and now in this world, they, of course, chase after stuff. That's all they've got. And so they, they, they worry incessantly about what they're going to eat and what they're going to wear and what, you know, uh, and what, what they're going to drink because that's all they've got. And the pagans today would add to this. Here's what we chase after. How can I get it better, the new and improved version? How can I get it bigger? How can I get it faster? How can I get it sexier? How can I get it more, with more comfort and, and less inconvenience? They chase after that because that's what life is about. But kingdom people, we're to remember that there's only one thing that is needful. There's only one meal that really satisfies the soul, and that's sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ. This is seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The word righteousness there just means right-relatedness. When you are getting your life from Jesus Christ, making time to sit in his presence and enjoy him enjoying you, when you do that, you get wisdom about your relationship with God, being rightly related to God, and wisdom about your relationship with yourself, being rightly related to yourself. And wisdom about your relationship with other people, being rightly related with others. And wisdom about being rightly related to stuff. Being rightly related to stuff. And, and, and that, that, that fullness of life that you receive for free apart from your doing gives you wisdom about your doing. What you're supposed to pursue, what you're not supposed to pursue. Getting fullness of life from Jesus Christ frees you from the addiction of consumerism, frees you from the addiction of materialism, frees you from the addiction of workaholism, frees you from the addiction of perfectionism, because you have the wisdom now to see that there's no life in that. You've got the feast, those little tiny meals you now can see just aren't going to satisfy you, and that empowers you to let them go. Yeah, you still do life. You still got to acquire some things. You still got to get a house or apartment or, or whatever, but you're not doing it chasing it like the pagans are. You're doing it, rather, out of a fullness of life that you have for free in Jesus Christ. You still do a lot of things, but you do it out of fullness. You're not chasing. And because you're not chasing, you don't buy the brainwashing lie that you've got to have this. I need to have this. I want to have this. You don't buy that brainwashing. And so you may get it, you may not, but you're not going to have anxiety about it. You see, you're free. You're free. That's freedom, folks. That is freedom. Uh, to be freed from the anxiety and the worry of the perpetual chasing after things. Get off the treadfill. You're not a rat, and the cheese never does deliver. No, no, no. Get free. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Make that priority number one. Drink deeply from the well of his love. And that's the center out of which all of our doing is to flow. You either live life with a desperate attempt to try to get full, and that never works. You're the rat on the treadmill. Or you live life out of a fullness that you have for free, and everything you do expresses that fullness. That's the better way. That's the merry way. That's the kingdom way. That's the Jesus way. Close your eyes for a moment. 
Uh, and the, the Holy Spirit, will you just move here? For every person in this auditorium and those who are li listening through podcast, open up their hearts and minds. Whatever they're doing right now, Lord, just move on them to be honest with themselves as I ask this kingdom question. Um, are you a Martha? Do you find that your life is significantly permeated by anxiety and worry? You don't have that subterranean peace that passes all understanding. You're anxious a lot. Let the Holy Spirit reveal to you what you need to know. Get wisdom about this. Have you let yourself be brainwashed? Have, have you let the commercials and the culture reduce you down to being a rat on a treadmill chasing a piece of cheese that you never really get? Rebel against that. So can you even get angry about that? Maybe you need to get angry about this. I'm tired of being brainwashed. Let the Holy Spirit reveal to you what you need to know, what you need to revolt against. And then hear Jesus say to you right now, your name, it's a double vocative. Greg, Greg. Or Diane, Diane. Norm, Norm. Hear your name. And then hear him say, you're troubled about so many things. Chasing after so many things. Wants, needs, got to get. But there's only one thing that's needful. Really. And here I am. I want more time with you. Hear the Lord say, I'm lonely for you. I married you so we could be together, but you're so busy. Running, chasing, pursuing, working. Will you make time for me? I really want to be with you. Not just in eternity, but now. And you, Martha Brides, will you just say in your mind back to him, I will, Lord. With your help, by your grace, I will. I commit to spending more time with you. Make that commitment. And Lord, give me wisdom about what I need to revolt against. Wisdom about my life, what I spend, what I buy, what I acquire, what I pursue. Give me wisdom to reorganize my life, to live more simply, more frugally, with my time and my resources. Give me wisdom, Lord, as I sit at your feet. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. I, I would just want to say this, that you know, for some people, you, know, you maybe just don't, don't quite get how to spend time alone with Jesus. And, and if that's an issue for you, I, I just want to point you to a resource, uh, a book I wrote called Seeing is Believing, which is all about cultivating a life-giving, resting time of prayer in our life. So you might want to ch check it out. We have it out in the back. Praise God. The one source of life. I'm so glad I have a source of life. It's not my doing, and it's not about things, and it's not about acquiring. That sets you free. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. One of the things we're set free for is to worship God in spirit and in truth with passion. This is the time where God encounters his people. There's a reality that takes place here. This is not just singing. This is a time where we're to open up our hearts and focus on the Lord, and that creates a... a uh, a pipeline, as it will, for the spiritual realm to come down in our midst and hear God blesses you and blesses others as we glorify him, as we dance with God. So we only worship God to the extent that we are passionately engaged in committing our minds and our hearts, 
our hands and our feet and our mouth to him. So I call on all of God's people here this morning to make the decision to enter into the sacrifice of praise. Sacrifice all those Martha distractions. Sacrifice, put aside all that Martha stuff. It'll be waiting for you when you get done. And right here, right now, one thing is needful, and that is to honor our God. Amen? Honor our God. Now we'll start by taking up an offering because an offering is one way of honoring God. We show what he's worth to us by sacrificing our resources. Uh, Norm's going to minister to us with a song about offering. Let the words penetrate and let it be your prayer. And then he'll call us into another time where we can stand if, we're po- if it's possible and, and we're going to worship the Lord with all that, we're, that, that all, all is, is within us. So Lord, inhabit the praises of your people right here and right now. Encounter us, transform us, and be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. thought in the world is to think that the best is behind you. It doesn't matter how old you are. Maybe your best physical days are behind you. Maybe your best mental days are behind you. But when you live for eternity, it doesn't matter how old you are, you're still eternally young. The best is yet to come. Amen. Praise God for that. I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come forward. And if you're here this morning and have any need whatsoever that you'd like to have prayed for, I encourage you to come down and, and pray with these folks. Or if you just want to kneel at the altar and pray a little bit, maybe God's working on something in your life. Don't, don't rush it. Let, let, let him work on it. Um, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never authentically surrendered your life, the controls of your life, over to him. I encourage you to come forward and talk to these folks. They'd love to uh, usher you into the kingdom and get you started on the, on the kingdom walk. Praise God. God's good. Let's pray. Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that you would remind us, call us back to the center, always going back to the source, the one source, the one meal that satisfies the heart. Free us from chasing after things and stuff and busyness. Give us wisdom on how to reprioritize our life, Lord God, to better reflect your values rather than American values, Lord God. Free us, Lord God, to live out of your kingdom, to express your kingdom, to manifest this revolting beauty in every way, shape, and form. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go out and build the kingdom.